This is a warning, sugar. You're about to listen to the masters of the obvious. But I'm going to keep it real with you, my sweet babies. These mamas ain't masters of shit. It's just two stone-cold foxes and their feminist agenda. But if you dig sexy things like interviews down by the fireplace, talking nerdy and little double entendre, keep on keeping on, because they're about to lay it on you. Right on. And welcome to the 17th episode of Masters of the Obvious. I'm Kirsten Bozio. And I'm Cynthia Rose. On this episode, we have comics artist Buster Moody on to talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, his independent work, and growing up next door to Kirsten. And Kirsten and I discuss nerd news and new comic releases. But first, we'd like to remind you to go to mastersoftheobvious.com. We have a ton of merch for sale. And if you'd like to support this pod by taking advantage of free shipping in the U.S., well, we really appreciate you. And hey, are you going to kiss me or do I have to lie to my diary again? And you can check out our shop and show your support at mastersoftheobvious.com. Hey, Kirsten, what have you been up to? I watched The Happiest Season with Kristen Stewart in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think my expectations were a little higher than they should have been. Oh, see, I haven't seen it. It, has, it also has a Dan Levy in it, right? Yeah, who's great in it. I, okay, I, I think that it's a good first step. I don't think it's perfect representation. Mm. I think the relationship and the movie is really toxic. Oh. And kind of sets a bad example. And you can't just have Audrey Plaza in a movie and not make her the main character? Oh, I disagree. Really? Yeah. I think in this movie in particular, she was the best part. Oh, okay. And so there's a lot of internet outrage about how things ended up. And Alison Bree's like kind of detestable on it, which was like a weird shift change for me. Oh, well, I mean, someone's got to be the villain, I guess. Did you, did you uh, watch Mad Men? I did. Mm-hmm. She played the wife, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, I hate that actor. The one that plays her husband? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's an angel so too. So toast, but like mean toast. It makes perfect sense that he married Alexis Bledel from Gilmore Girls. What? That's the yeah. whitest couple I've ever heard of. <laughs> Like painfully. I don't think they've ever been outdoors. I don't think they see each other naked. (laughs) They just cut holes to their sheets. I also caught the first two episodes of Lovecraft Country. What'd you think? It's a lot, right? It's a lot. I don't agree that the first episode was slow. Mm, I really like period pieces. Hmm. So, I mean, I watch all of Downton Abbey, like how many fucking times? Hmm. I And Lord of the Rings, your personal favorite. <laughs> Yay. So I love it. That's a testament to fucking you being immune to boredom. I am patient. I'm the most easily amused person, but it's, it is just visually beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, I got weird real quick and uncomfortable real quick. Mm-hmm. And then the second episode was like, such a tonal shift. Were you watching a show? Because this is a new one. 
You remember that show you were watching? How about a new one? <laughs> yeah, I thought my ADHD kicked in. I'm like, did I just like miss like skip a season? Like what happened? And then both of us watched Marvel 616. Yes, I just watched the first two episodes. Yeah, I didn't catch the first one. I jumped right to two when I found out that Trina Robbins and Kelly Sudaconic were in it because, hi. Hello. They were on the show. We love them. And I was not prepared emotionally to watch it. Yeah, that that messed you up. I called you crying you did i didn't want to mention that i want i didn't know if that was okay to talk about <laughs> I, I i'm so surprised you didn't laugh and not in my face it was on the phone but laugh in my ear because you were so distraught i wasn't gonna <laughs> laugh at you god i'm kind of i'm mean but fuck man when your also, friend calls you up crying and you laugh at them there's something really wrong with you <laughs> or your best friends <laughs> um, i mean I understood where you were coming from, so it wasn't laughable. We have a nerd podcast. Obviously, I feel very strongly about comic books and women yes. being represented in them. You definitely um, feel ways, strong ways. Um, also, the story about the editor who um, helped usher in the new Miss Marvel and the new Captain Marvel said something really great that mm -hmm. kind of healed me in some way, the little kid in me. Yeah. Because a lot of her knowledge of comic books was kind of like grandfathered in by her brothers. Mm -hmm. And it's the same experience with me. Like my older brother, God love him. I don't think he reads any comic books anymore. He read a lot as a kid. And I felt weird being into this thing traditionally for boys. So I was kind of like the tag along little sister and sneaking them around. But now I'm the giant nerd. <laughs> and it, and it, of course, you know, as a woman, no matter if you're into anything, it doesn't matter what the fuck it is, but especially in nerd culture, you get tested. Like you have to pass a litmus test. Sure. It's their thing and it will never be yours. You're mm. just a bystander in their and their realm it, for them <laughs> yeah. they're they're the core and you're just the satellite offshoot weird thing i would even feel guilty telling people that the reason why i got into comic books was because of my dad and my brother cuz they're like sure. oh yeah of course oh is your boyfriend like oh comics? i'm sorry were you given a comic book at birth cuz you have a penis like somebody <laughs> had to introduce you to probably your older brother or your dad it wasn't like, the movie Ants. They didn't give you like a helmet or a comic book. <laughs> and it's not like you're like, yeah, I got into this after watching fucking Endgame. Like, it's, who cares? If and you it did, also, did. who cares? Right. But it's they're making it sound like you're like, I, after Thor gave, you know, gave me a lady heart on, I was like, give me all the comics. <laughs> <laughs> Just roll them up and stick them up my JJ. <laughs> oh, you're but supposed she, to read these? Oh, <laughs> silly me. I've been doing it all wrong. Yeah. So she said something really cool, and I'm sure I'm butchering it, but she said that when she first got into comics, she was working at an indie publisher and just felt really out of place. And there's some imposter syndrome, but of course, things that other people would tell her that she needed to have some sort of like comics IQ. Like she didn't know enough. She didn't study up enough to be an editor. All you need to be to be an editor is skills. You don't need, you don't need to pass all these fucking IQ tests about the subject. You, you know a good story. And if it's written correctly, there's your job. 
I felt that so much. And then it was just, it was emotional seeing like how many women as girls didn't realize that it was something just for boys. And then it hit them like a fucking Mack truck later on, because like we were saying, everyone told them that's not for you. Yeah. It's interesting. There's been a lot of things in my life growing up insulated, going to you know, private school and not having a ton of friends and kind of experiencing media through magazines and TV and not really understanding that certain things were gendered by society because I wasn't interacting with other people who were into these things. And then once I went out of my little bubble, I slammed down constantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, like just going to music stores and and shit like that was horrific as a kid. Horrific. a Ramones t-shirt to a punk show. And they're like, name all the Ramones. I was like, obviously I can name all the Ramones. Name all your favorite songs by them. And now I hate the Ramones, by the way. I mean, I can listen to them, but I don't like them. I don't like Sure, they're, they're remedial, and but they're super fun. Like I, having Max has given me a new found love of the Ramones. They're, they're very- They're for children. They're for, <laughs> it's, it, they are nursery rhymes. Absolutely. I love this episode. I actually messaged Kelly Sudaconic afterwards crying because <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. And um, she gave you some virtual hugs. She did. And the episode ends on a picture of Captain Marvel from her run. And the words are, I'm taking the damn name. And I don't know how oh, like privy you were to when Carol Danvers became Captain Marvel that Outlash was insane. And I found it really interesting because Kelly Sue said that like none of my relationships with other women are like shitty, passive aggressive competitiveness. And I showed that in my comic books. Like there is competition, healthy competition and ambition. But like, for instance, like Carol Danvers and Monica Rambeau have a competition and aren't always on good terms but not in a shitty way. It's still a real depiction of a friendship. Yeah, it's not underhanded or backstabby and it's not it has nothing to do with like them vying for the same man. Because you, you and I have existed in male spaces before and have really confused the men by our relationship. Because yeah. we go hard on each other and are ridiculous, but we don't actually mean any of it. No. And the thing is, is that I think that for the most part, I don't want to be that girl that says I have mostly male friends because that's gross. But my relationships, a lot of the time are based on antagonism. And most, mm. and a lot of girls maybe can't hang with that. They do, they do kind of take offense to it. You can definitely take it when I dish it out. And I think that, that but them seeing the dynamic between two girls, they don't get it. And it's not like we're not like other girls. Other girls do. Sure act like that and in a way i would say we're not like other girls because we're fucking dumber we're actually <laughs> we spend time on things that aren't gonna get us anywhere we're real dumb about like stuff. men <laughs> like the fact that we're married to men just tells you how dumb we are i think women are programmed at a really young age to be in competition with each other so that we don't form relationships in womanhood and support. So then we can be fucking stepped on. So I think there's a conditioning happening at a very young age and some women carry that into their adulthood. Sure. And that's the kind of women who get really jealous of like exes and 
of women that look nicer or are doing better than them because there's a lot of unresolved internal misogyny happening. Yeah. Or uh, I find it really creepy when girls don't like it when their boyfriends look at porn and the girls don't look like them. Porn is such a complicated topic. I've gotten to the point where I'm so adverse to most mainstream porn that I just watch like monster porn. Because <laughs> that's the only stuff that doesn't make me uncomfortable, which is kind of ironic. I just don't like the way women are treated in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't like how men act in it either. And that's if I'm watching straight porn. There's nothing worse than too, because like just how much com- women are commodified in that. Like um, it, if there's threesomes, it's always two girls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mainstream porn anyway. If you're fun like me, you you watch, you know. You'll find your shit. King Triton railing goofy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Marvel 616 episode two was by far my favorite. I accidentally palate cleansed my good mood leaving that episode with episode seven, which is the most controversial one, talking about the Marvel method. Tell me about the Marvel method. So it's roughly based on what Stan Lee used to do back in the day. Granted, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of staff and he was just working on multiple projects. Mm. So he would kind of like start something, get the ball rolling as a writer, but then artists would pick it up from there. And sometimes they'd be down to the wire and the artists would would draw everything. And then he would kind of write the story around it. Oh. And then get it to press. Okay. I think in this day and age, it's really outdated. They still and do that. Well, that's what in the in the episode Dan Slot uses and talks about. It's infuriating. And you know, Stan Lee's not the perfect person and honestly, in a lot of ways, shouldn't be modeled after. He had a lot of really bad relationship with the artist mm-hmm. um, because of that. Because it's it is seen as lazy. And I think that there's so many writers out there with great work ethic. We have like a different perspective, you know, that are POC, women, queer. And to have a, you know, a balding, white, bearded dude basically bragging about how lazy he is. <laughs> I'm successful and I do the least. Ooh, it pissed me off. Um and, you know, I read into it later and and even Dan Slot said that like, well, I was playing it up for the episode and I'm sure some liberties were taken, but, you know, <laughs> it's still not great. You still yeah. did it. Yeah. So I regret watching it in that order. I was, <laughs> if I could redo it, I would watch that, get really angry and then calm down with episode two. And I can imagine that a lot of people, well, a lot of comics gay people would say the reverse. Oh, Yeah. And we're going to talk about that later in the news. What have you been doing? I am almost done with Harley Quinn season two. Yes. Oh, and you got to the Snyder Cut reference. Oh, my God. I had to pause it and like just laugh to myself for like 20 minutes. As soon as as soon as the shirts came on, they weren't even talking. Just the last Jedi is not canon shirt. And the release the Snyder Cut shirt on these two fucking assholes. Oh my we god! Wear those shirts. We should make those shirts and wear them for like a podcast promo. Oh my god! Logo. Can we put on fucking neck beards and get and, <gasps> and wear those shirts and that's our cosplay? And a fedora. Ooh, socks and sandals, cargo shorts. <laughs> I don't know. How, can we make the picture scratch and sniff? Like. Ooh. 
<laughs> like BO and BO and Mountain Dew. <laughs> I get really excited when um, Mountain Dew Baja Blast is available in stores. I've watched, to be fair, I love my friend who gets really excited about that, but he is a huge nerd. <laughs> he like bought like everything that was available in the store, brought it home, <laughs> broke out his fanciest barware and poured it in. What the fuck is Baja Blast? It's like the signature pop at Taco Bell. Oh, pap? Pap. I'm Midwestern. So I watched, I'm almost at the end. The next episode is the wedding episode. I'm just gasping. Go ahead. Just gasping. So that's been great. I would have finished it, but my husband was like, I'm tired and I can't watch it without him. So if only we were married to each other. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if only we were married (laughs) to each other, we'd be on the exact same schedules with watching everything. You'd never sleep. We just fucking, we just (laughs) watch zombies. (laughs) So I had to find something else to watch. When he went to sleep and I thought, oh, uh, there's this new show on HBO Max. I'm already have the app open. I'll just put on I Hate Susie. I watched the first three episodes and it has Billy Piper in it. And I know Billy Piper from Secret Diary of a Call Girl. You probably know her from Doctor Who. Well, of course. (laughs) She's fucking brilliant in this fucking show. It feels like you're having a fucking panic attack through the whole show. (laughs) Oh, God. Wait, what is it about? She's an actress. And in the very beginning of the episode, you kind of see the dynamic between her family. She has a husband. She has a kid. The kid is hearing impaired. I would say he's about six. She has like a fucking crew coming over. They're going to do a photo shoot with her. And she finds out that she's been a part of a hack. And some nude pictures of her are going to go up on the internet. Okay. And her whole life falls apart. And it's very interesting to see the dynamics between her and the people in her life as this happens. That's a really interesting plot for a show yeah i mean the show at heart really feels like a show about misogyny mm-hmm. it's not extraordinarily heavy-handed with that though but i really feel like well yeah it's, it's there i feel like i saw a lot more sympathy for chris evans when he posted his own dick on accident do you want to hop into some nerd news let's do some nerd news um elizabeth olsen has started filming on doctor strange in the multiverse of madness which looks nutters. Joss Whedon is no longer working on The Nevers, which was his HBO series centering on a group of Victorian-era female superheroes. HBO said that they've parted ways with Joss Whedon and they remain excited. Well, it hasn't premiered yet. That's oh, why. Oh, okay. So they've... It, it, I haven't even did heard they, did he finish, about it. Did he finish it and then they parted ways or did he, did he exit midway through? Um, he at least directed a episode and seems to be a part of the creative team. Okay. Of course, we know him from Buffy, Firefly, and MCU. That's what I was going to say about him is that, you know, for being such a, so focused on strong female characters to then shift gears and do the Avengers where Black Widow is like a fucking joke. And he made her a joke. I know. And then you saw his... Wonder Woman script? No. Um, awful. And then his reshoots on the Justice League with all the like the upskirt shoots of Wonder Woman and then Wonder Woman being, I mean, um, Gal Gadot being very uncomfortable by some of the situations that he put her in. Huh. Yeah. yeah what's up with that? Like to, what a fall from fucking... 
Well, you look at his personal life that we heard about because oh. of his ex-wife and people who came out like... I keep hearing about it personally it. from friends, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. But yeah, he just said that he was struggling with producing the show during the pandemic. It was too much for him physically. So that's why he's gone. Oh, well, that's an interesting way he's to put it. He's having a hard time during the pandemic. He is? How weird. Only him. Only him. <laughs> I mean, for me, there I'm might be a good time. reason. I'm you not going to fucking roast him for this. I'll roast him for all the other things. I'll roast him at any opportunity I can. I don't care. Super thumb boy. <laughs> Super thumb boy. And next him to the island of problematic ginger men with Louis C.K. <laughs> um, speaking of islands, is this an island? Scotland. <laughs> Has become the first country to make period products free to everyone who needs them. You know what? I have always thought if we just one day collectively, and this speaks to us not being able to do anything collectively because of the internalized misogyny that we've been taught. If we all collectively went, we're not going to do anything about this. We're going to bleed all over your shit. Things would change rather quickly. There would be a problem. But to be fair... Toilet paper is not free, but it is free in public restrooms. I think poop being a problem is more of like homeless folks, I at see. least in downtown Los Angeles. And absolutely nothing against homeless folks because I was one. I don't think that our country, I don't think it's a, a an issue with women. I think it's a wish issue with everyone. <laughs> Right, it's a class issue. Yeah, that's not a rich white man. Got it. Yeah, so... You um, just killed my fucking idea of just having women bleed everywhere. Thanks. I'm gonna ride on that train. Here, wait. (laughs) Open the door. Choo-choo. I'm on board. Get me on the blood train. Go. (laughs) No, I I want you to fucking put some coals in the fire or however the fuck they run a train and... Started up. We're just bitch. burning our bras. That's our. That's our bras. <laughs> the Expanse sci-fi show renewed for its final sixth season, and I find this really interesting because I'm only in. I think I'm only in season two of this. Okay. Um, so I've got a ways to go to catch up. But Cass Anvar, who is the main character, he plays the pilot Alex Kamal, will not return for the show's final season because of some sexual misconduct investigations that happened earlier in the year. I really like The Expanse, though. Okay. And I really like that. I really like Tom Jane. It's nice to see him again. I know him from, what the, Hung. Yeah. Yeah. Also from uh, Punisher. Oh, my God. Yes. But I was going to say. I really like the Punisher movie. Yeah? I thought it was fun and ridiculous. I just like him. I loved him in Arrested Development when he played the actor slash homeless guys. Yes. Just so good. He's really great and gruff. He kind of plays those characters in this show. And there's a lot of great female characters. And they're complicated. It's not just like good or bad. They're very deeply flawed. And um, I like that. God, make women fucking multidimensional again. This is what I'm super excited about. Captain Jack Harkness, a.k.a. John Borrowman, who's also the face of Bo for any Whovians out there and star of Torchwood, is returning to Doctor Who for a festive special. It's a thing in Doctor Who to have like really amazing Christmas specials. Oh, 
One of the most memorable ones were sentient killer trees, <laughs> Christmas trees. Cute. <sighs> I can't wait until you watch that. Remember, you watch that. I watch Twin Peaks. Very different shows. I feel like the one you're asking me to do is much more of an investment. Not time-wise. If you start at the seasons? reboot, I only want you to watch Doctor number 9, 10, and 11. So three seasons. No. You dick. Because <laughs> I'm only asking you to watch three seasons. Well, you also have the movie, And a right? pilot movie. And yeah. a movie at the end. And like intellectually, it's going to be harder for me to grasp David Lynch than for you to be gr- grasping like... It's, it is a little bit of a, a, a stretch too to make you watch something that came out like the year you were born. Because I think that if I watched something from the late 70s, I would be like... For the first time now, it would feel very weird. Yeah. So anyway, super excited about him. He is a bisexual king. Well, oh, that was another thing. The freaking queer representation in Doctor Who for being like pretty much the most watched show on the BBC to do that. And in the early 2000s is kind of remarkable. No, I didn't realize. Yeah. Godzilla vs. Kong may be the next movie to go straight to a streaming service rather than smashing things up in theaters. Netflix has already made a $200 million offer for it. Warner Media, the, pre- the parent company of both HBO Max and Warner Brothers, that's what it is. I didn't realize that they own HBO Max now. It makes so much Warner sense. Brothers does? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting to me because I work, Media. A, I work yeah. a lot with Warner Media. So maybe that means I can do makeup for some of these people from these HBO. Maybe for the Snyder Cut. <laughs> maybe I can do makeup on Zack Snyder. They might ask me. Oh, God, for Comic-Con, they might ask me. Oh, my God, please. I would say yes. I need that experience. I would, yeah, wear, I would wear my release the Snyder Cut shirt that we're going to make. But they own 25% of that film and they block the deal with Netflix. So... You know, they're reportedly preparing a counter offer to Legendary, who financed the remaining 75%. So it's an interesting little business side of... I mean, it's a totally different uh, way of doing business, you know, releasing straight to streaming. So I I think it's interesting to see how these companies are handling it. And I heard if you put it on multiple streaming services, what can happen that nobody wants is crossing the streams. Oh, right. You're never supposed to do that unless you want to to explode a marshmallow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Mads Michelson is confirmed to replace Johnny Depp in Fantastic Beasts 3. And as far as I'm concerned, he should have played him the whole time. What a great casting choice. As far as I'm concerned, we shouldn't be doing J.K. Rowling movies anymore. I I wonder how much backlash Mads is going to get because we've seen how insane Johnny Depp fans are. Oh my gosh, it's intense. I, we already talked about this. I think that Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, terrible people. Yeah. I don't take a side. The only thing I do take a side on is stop supporting shitty people. Stop supporting JK Rowling. Stop supporting Johnny Depp. Sure, don't give Amber Heard her roles either. I don't fucking care. But the fact that the hammer is yet again going down on the woman pisses me off. So, to change gears a little bit. Just a a smidge. Just a little bit. There's been rumors circulating that David Lynch is in talks with Netflix about a new project. Oh my God. 
I'm so excited. So there's a casting call for the lead of a new David Lynch film. And he's looking for a woman with dark hair in her 30s to do some tasteful nudity for a limited series for a very popular streaming service. What I've heard is that they have an $85 million budget for 25 one-hour-long episodes. They could be 13 mini-movies or 25 25 one-hour-long episodes. We're not sure. Like an anthology. The original shooting schedule was postponed due to COVID-19, so we might not get it till 2022. Ooh, that's a long time for you to wait. You won't even be alive by then. You're too (laughs) old. I am so fucking excited for another David Lynch TV series. Holy shit. Yeah, I feel like you just go into hibernation in between David Lynch projects. I just peek my head out. I'm like, huh? Hmm? Nope. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to hop into some Star Wars. We're going to start it on a sad note. David Prowse, who played Darth Vader, not the voice, of course, but did all the physical acting of Darth Vader, has passed. That is sad. I mean, it's just it's just indicative of, of uh, me in particular. I don't know if you feel this, but I feel like I'm just getting old. Everyone's fucking dying. I'm finally at the age where I do see a lot of my childhood heroes, you know, one by one dropping like flies. And that's a fucking bummer. We got to get in to the new Mandalorian episode. Oh, my God. I have seen this. There have been multiple viewings in my house. So fucking excited still fucking excited about it after seeing it multiple times and we knew like the the title of the episode was released before we actually got it the jedi who else would it be about but goddamn, did dave filoni fucking deliver it wasn't no baloney with dave filoni <laughs> first i just want to say some new- spoilers oh big time spoilers all the spoilers. Huge spoilers please put in like a alert sound or something eh, they know my initial reactions Watching Baby Yoda climbing into his chair, fucking squealing. I'm squealing. It's really cute. Why? I just pictured you doing that. Oh, God. These are just some hot takes. I'm just going to throw some things out. Space okay. crucified people. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Space crucified people. Uh, Baskar Steel. Strong as fuck. Okay. <laughs> really excited about the introduction of that Baskar spear. Mm-hmm. Because... It can contend with a lightsaber, which means that now, I mean, obviously spoilers, that Mando has it. He can go toe-to-toe with Moff Gideon. Nice. Grogu, obviously. What is with that name? It sounds like it's from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. But what I am a fan of is the way that he responds when someone says it. Like a puppy. You know when their ears pick up when you say their name? Fuck off. You know what you're doing, Dave. How cute was Ahsoka with Grogu? And how cute was it when Grogu visually responds when Ahsoka says Yoda's name? Like, you know Yoda? Fuck you. (laughs) I saw and heard theories that he could possibly be a clone of Yoda. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't like it, but I was like, you know, I'm not going to say no until it's proven. I mean, proven. it's interesting, but why? There's an entire race. Why does he have to be a clone? Right. Everything is so beautiful. It's beautifully lit. It's beautifully shot. Every scene is like a painting. We have, okay, Zack Snyder, fuck boy, visually does a good job. But 
the difference with Filoni is that he does... Well, the fact that Ahsoka was such a hated character in the beginning, remember? In like 2008, when she was announced, like everyone... I actually don't remember her ever being hated, but I guess that's a possibility. She was. She was. People were not into the idea of this 14-year-old girl Padawan, Mm -hmm. like... It was gross. But the fact that what a redemption arc to go from like one of the most hated characters in Star Wars to the most anticipated characters in Star Wars. And then for Filoni to execute it the way that he did. This man has such a love of Star Wars and such a adept ability at storytelling. Like he is just he's a master. The way that her lightsabers lit up the scenes. Oh, total nerdgasm. Her lightsabers fucking boosh, fucking lighting up the fogginess. Fuck The off. planet is kind of unlike anything we've seen so far. Too. It's pretty decimated from uh, the, the magistrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it yeah. Just when Did, her, but her eyes lighting up with the lightsaber. Like I'm fucking dead. I died. Can we died. talk about the lightsabers? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, you know, kind of the history. I mean, you watch Clone Wars and Rebels, and that her the color of her lightsabers are white, but it's basically representing neutrality. It's not really a classic Jedi character. It's not a Sith color. From what I remember, they were like corrupted. I thought um, that she like Sith. kind of yeah, and she just kind of used force. You like bathed them in like the light force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bathe them? Is that a fucking... That sounds stupid. I don't know. But there's a better way to say it. Everything in Star Wars is stupid. (laughs) We're talking about the lore. You shush. Of a fictional show. But yeah, the way that she wields them too, like back, backwards... It's, it's fucking just, rad. It's beautiful. And then it's and then the hilt is curved. Love it. She purified, purified them, them with the force. Like she baptized them. Sure. So bathing them, I wasn't that far. But off. she like corrupted the kyber crystals, right? That's what the thing was. I don't know if corrupted, but she, maybe, pu- she purified them because they were they were or maybe that they were corrupt corrupted and then she uncorrupted them. Well, they were they were originally a red blade and she turned them white. Yeah. Also I saw a lot of people getting excited that the shaft of the lightsaber wasn't thin like it was in Rebels. Okay. Like, okay. People are, whatever. There's just a lot of really funny technicality arguments going on. Oh my God. Here's the thing too. Tickles me. Um, Another testament to Dave Filoni is that even if you don't know who Ahsoka or Thrawn are, this episode is still really amazing to watch. (gasps) That throng, the throng, throng, throng. <laughs> seeing her wield double lightsabers. First of all, seeing lightsabers at all right now, we're just like, bah! or I'm like, oh. This is the first time we got, I mean, aside from Grogu, that we got Jedi action. The episode's martial arts heavy with uh, fighting, reminiscent of fucking Kill Bill with that fucking scene. Ay, ay, ay. Also, wait, can we talk about the actress that played the magistrate? Yeah. The goddaughter of Bruce Lee, which I found out mm-hmm. also did stunts on Buffy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the big reveal of like, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? It's going to get really spicy. It's You're not super- just going to throw that out there and just not yeah. do anything with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really interesting. And it's, I mean, this is, there's so much fan service in this and it's just done so fucking well. I fucking teared up when I saw Ahsoka slicing through some bad guys for the first time in the fog. Just 
Okay, so can we talk about a few cute moments in the episode? Yes. Um, the way Ahsoka smiles at Grogu when they walk away, like when they're going into the ship. As though she's saying, you're welcome. Have fun with your Dadalorian. She's so warm. It's so good. Being a badass, she's very warm. I know. And then realizing that he had that ball that Baby Yoda loved so much in his pocket, that moment. Like, don't embarrass me. Like, <laughs> I felt that way too. Like, sometimes I'll be like, my kid did something really funny. Do it again. They're like, no. Yeah. Well, it's like, wow, no, I look like a fucking idiot. Yeah, he's just being stupid. <laughs> and notice how proud he was when he did it. Like, did you see that? Like a dad, like a fucking soccer I dad. Do it. That's um, my kid. I know. And Mando. Okay, so this is actually really cute. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. So when Mando was surveying the scene when they when they were first going to look for Ahsoka, mm-hmm. and then right before she attacks him, that really reminded me of the scene from the first movie when Luke Skywalker was looking at a couple of Bantha on the horizon, and then a Tuscan Raider caught him by surprise. Yeah, so cute. Oh, my heart. your little parallels. I like this. I love it. And then I also love the a Jedi and a Mandalorian teaming up. They'll never see it coming. Oh, my God. I want this so bad. I wanted this so bad. I didn't even know I wanted this. And I wanted There's it so bad. There's a lot of good lines. Uh, classic cowboy showdown that we got with Mando and the magistrate's main dude. Oh, oh we cannot not mention the veiled reference to Anakin or Darth Vader. Yeah, so Ahsoka's concerned with... I can't call him Grogu. Grogu. Is that okay? Can I just call him Baby Yoda for the rest of my life? I just adjusted to Grogu. You can't set me back. Baby Yoda, riding on a pig, Baby Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) So Ahsoka's concerned with Grogu's immense power and the fact that he had to learn to hide ever since he left the temple and his lingering anger over that and how he's been treated, along with his connection to Mandalorian, could be manipulated to tip him over to the dark side. So she's nervous about that if he ever unlocks his full force potential. So because Ahsoka was a Padawan under Anakin Skywalker, she knows all too well how power can be corrupted. And she says, I sense much fear in you, which is like what Yoda said to Anakin. And now Anakin's a Padawan saying it to baby Yoda. Oh, my God. Can we just talk about the shade that Ahsoka threw at Yaddle saying that (laughs) Yoda was the only of (laughs) <laughs> hey, time that she's what? ever seen. Maybe she's never seen. Oh, she's seen Yaddle. You can't unsee Yaddle. <laughs> if we have to see Yaddle, you have to see. <laughs> yeah, but and then of course the fact that you know Anakin didn't kill all the younglings. I just like that he was like playing hide and seek that whole time. I keep thinking him as a baby, so I'm like, how could he be there? He's a baby. He's fucking fifty. That's how he could be there. Duh. I just like the idea like, him just like heavy breathing like when you're playing hide and seek. <laughs> um, but Can I, you imagine? Are they going to show that in a scene? He's like hiding somewhere. Better. Wouldn't that be fun or uh, awful? I'm down we, for either. We would uh, collectively. So the thing that I feel like most Star Wars geeks want to see is one Luke after Jedi. We want to see that fucking badass. So if they were to bring Luke into this, we'd all fucking die. We would literally die. We would die. We would we would die. There's nothing else in the world that we would have to live for, to ask for, to complain about. We would die. And also, like, as much as I don't like the prequels, I love that. I, I, there are certain scenes that I, I love the idea of. It's awful. But because it's awful, because it adds to the story, I love the idea of him just fucking going to town on those young ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so CPS will be at your house. <laughs> Fuck them um, kids. <laughs> anyway, 
fun episode. I loved it. Loved it. I started listening to this podcast called The Gutter Boys. Shout out to them. If this is the first episode they're going to be listening to, I'm so sorry. Oh, hey. <laughs> we really fucking went into it. Um, anyway, they reported that Gina Carano, our favorite. Oh. We love her. We Let's love talk about her some more. Let's give her friend. some more uh, airtime. Let's give her some more. Well, the only reason why I'm going to talk about her, who of course plays Cara Dune and The Mandalorian, is because I found out she was following a bunch of comics gate people. Okay. So far beyond unsurprised, this lady is like the seven layer burrito of awful. <laughs> it's a good segue because we haven't really talked about comics gate on the pod. Right. Not directly. Not directly. We do kind of we touch on it talk about diversity in comics and how there should be more diverse folks writing illustrating them the stories and the characters as well but it's kind of hard to pinpoint where it started it kind of always existed there's always been pushback to change especially when you're talking about people's childhood men's childhood in particular they're very you know don't touch it it's my they're very like Smeagol or Golem like I play this because you look at comic books when they started, they had to like condense the topics and titles that they would do. Because we saw this in the second episode of 616. They did used to cater to girls with like Millie and what have you. But when they had to consolidate and they decided to go with teenage boys, teenage white boys. So comics for a long time were that were you know targeted towards that audience and then we got a couple you know diverse characters like power man luke cage but that was just because of the black exploitation right uh, movement the popularity of that which wasn't unproblematic <laughs> this has been around forever there's always been pushback but i think of in recent news kind of the you know reset was chelsea kane she wrote uh, Mockingbird and in the final issue had Mockingbird in a shirt on the cover asked me about my feminist agenda I remember you make like remaking that shirt I love that shirt I couldn't I couldn't find one that was comics accurate so I made my own yeah with some iron-ons right I did yes I found the <laughs> so, I found that peachy colored shirt and I did it so some people will pinpoint it to that point. Um, some people also say that it started in 2017 when Heather Antos, who is working at Marvel, decided to pay homage to the fabulous Flo Steinberg, who, of course, was a Marvel icon by posing with milkshakes with other female staff members. And that was all it was. There was no caption um, that would even be perceived as SJW. It was just women commemorating a really impactful woman in comics. But yeah, people got fucking mad. It was met with harassment. You know, the feminists are taking over and just morphed into this conversation also about like fake nerd girls and diversity hires. I distinctly remember this YouTuber, um, Diversity in Comics, distinctly saying that Heather Antos like sucked her way into comics. Oh, yes. That's right. <sighs> of course, that's Richard Meyer. And he's probably the most prominent figure in Comicsgate. Comicsgate specifically being that they're anti-diversity. <laughs> 
I mean, how do you even spin that into something positive? Do you want me to answer that or is that rhetorical? They really think they're grandstanding some, something like noble. The thing is that if you leave out the fact that you don't, you don't call it bigotry, you don't call it not wanting to see diversity, what you call it is, I don't want these affirmative action hires, but they're never attacking the quality. They're only Mm -hmm. attacking the fact that it's inclusive. So their argument is fucking thin. Yeah, make it about the artwork. Make it about like plot holes, not (laughs) the fact that they're not white men. Right. And in regard to that picture, how many fucking pictures of comics people in a group are all men and it's not a fucking issue. It's not a fucking problem. This is something that we've experienced too when we've talked about nerd things in the past. Suddenly, and it wasn't anything different than what our male counterparts were doing. We were told that we were too political. It's in, yeah. We were downers or we were SJWs. Coming out of our mouths, it's somehow skewed to have some sort of agenda. Ask me about my feminist agenda. I mean, mic drop. That's all that is. Comics gate is bigotry. It's never constructive criticism. It's always involving, you know, diverse characters and storylines. And, you know, almost in every gate situation, including Gamergate, the ones most impacted and harassed are women. In this case, obviously, it was um, Heather Antos and Chelsea Kane. But in Gamer's Gate, it was people like Anita Sarkeesian. And that really says it all. If your harassment campaign is affecting mostly women, (laughs) to be fair, when white women get hurt, then there's outrage. There have been, you know, people of color and queer people that were the target of um, these kind of harassment campaigns forever, but it didn't really see the light of day until these women were harassed. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that and also note that Mark Wade, who is a really um, successful writer for Marvel, got involved and even possibly got Richard Meyer, who's a diversity in comics YouTuber, um, his series removed from Antarctic Press. I just think it's funny that there are probably dozens if not hundreds of women who were taking a stand against what was happening that no one gave a fuck about but when mark wade stood up then we get all you know run the process no one is saying that a woman or a black person or a queer person should be hired solely based on that it's about your talent but there should be initiatives to make the entry point easier for people like that to be seen and get those drops. I think that's the argument that we should be having, not about whether or not they have the right to do it. That's ridiculous. That's bigoted and disgusting. That's all I have to say about it. Well, that's a nice little rant we had, Cynthia. I'm going to move on to our comics. Obviously, this isn't a complete comic list list of everything that's coming out this Wednesday. But these are our favorites. We've got The Boys, Dear Becky, number seven. Black Widow, number four. Captain Marvel, volume four, Accused. Of course, that's a trade back. New Mutants, volume one, also a trade back. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, trade back. 
Wonder Woman of History, a graphic novel. Looks amazing. That's a great stocking stuffer. Spell on Wheels, Volume 2, Just to Get You. Coffin Bound, Volume 2, Dear God. I love all the trade paperbacks coming out. Those are great gifts. You don't really want to give floppies as gifts, so it makes sense that we're going to see a lot of those on the list. Inkblot, number four. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, number 20. The variant cover. Oh my God. Please go to our social media. Beautiful. Almost like a Betty Veronica in the 80s vibe. Into it. Lumberjanes, end of summer, number one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Jenica to number two. The fact that Jenica, a, a female turtle, is on her second series and it's doing well. Mwah. Weeding, a graphic novel. This is from Conundrum Press. I love indie comic books and I'm so sad that I'm not adding more to lists every week. I promise I will. Weeding looks like a fucking trip. The art is so fun. Definitely check that out. And that's it for this week. The presenting sponsor of Masters of the Obvious is... Us! Producing a podcast is expensive, but you can keep this nerdy soapbox in business. Mastersoftheobvious.com has all your Motopod merch needs. Does your inner snarky teenager need Ghost World-inspired merch? Well, we have the perfect place for you. Mastersoftheobvious.com. Buy merch, be a hero to these needy nerds. Today on the pod, we have Buster Moody. He is an illustrator who's worked on IDW books like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Godzilla and Hell, as well as his own projects like Task Force Rad Squad and Laser Storm Giant Slayers. And funnily enough, my childhood neighbor. Welcome to the show, Buster. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm super stoked. Actually, when we started the pod, you were on my list. So I'm glad we finally got to it. Awesome. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. And I'm, uh, I'm really, really hyped to be here myself. So yeah, th- yeah, thank you. So we're living in some strange times right now with the pandemic and stay at home orders. And I'd love to hear what you've been up to, whether it be projects or things that you're watching or reading. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, so far, uh, like work-wise, as far as the pandemic goes, it definitely has been kind of weird. Um, I, uh, I definitely do. I do Uh, Comic work. I also do video editing and motion graphics type work too. So um, luckily that's remained pretty consistent while um, kind of the comic and illustration stuff has been a little bit less kind of sure footing uh, this year. So, yeah. So like at the beginning of the year, I kind of, uh, I, I had, I was working on my book laser storm, uh, and I was doing pretty well with that. We had, uh, some like personal stuff happen, uh, in our family. And then we also ended up having like a mold, uh, infestation at our house, uh, right yeah, at the beginning of the lockdown. That. Oh man. Yeah. It was, uh, it was not fun. And, uh, a couple of my projects kind of just like, uh, got totally, um, off the rails at that point. And, uh, I'm I'm kind of like trying to steer the ship back to to where it needs to be, but um, but I'm always staying busy with stuff. Uh, I've stayed really busy, uh, fortunately, with like commissions, um, and I've done some covers and pinups for friends' books. Also, uh, I have a project in the works right now with the writer Aubrey Sitterson. Um, I'm going to actually start penciling that book uh next week is the plan so i got a few different uh irons in the fire right now 
you know, I've, I've made a few zines within the last couple of years also, and I kind of want to expand on those, uh, do new editions, uh, and also just get, get them back in print and available for people to order too. So I feel like I have a very obvious stream of conscious going out loud all the time and people really kind of keep it close to their vest when it comes to the process sometimes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that's one of the things that's like, it's really great to have, have friends that, you know, done some of this stuff, uh, have, have done their own self-publishing or whatever form of creative endeavor in general. It's just great to have peers and friends that have similar interests and goals, uh, that you can kind of just like, you know, figure, figure that stuff out with. And I think that's super valuable. Um, but you're right. Yeah. A, a lot of people, especially ones that do it so, so well, it seems like effortlessly on social media, you know, there's, there's rarely ever a peek behind the curtain to see like the the actual gears at play you know they've got to be banging their head on the desk and then that just they, that cool and collected in the room afterwards right yeah that or i don't know if they have just like really awesome like in, in some cases i think it's like great partners uh either business partners or or like life partners that are able to just kind of like help them I, I know that at least with my wife we we have two different minds that play off of each other and we kind of like complement and contrast each other. So I'm taking notes. I imagine that's, that's the same lot of, uh, lot of people. So yeah. That's your advice um, for our listeners. But yeah. I, 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 into a partnership <laughs> for, your, for work. At least. Yeah, Love find, is like yeah. Find, find somebody that can like do the business stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, find somebody that can do that business stuff, I guess. Uh, Cause yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out uh, entirely myself. So it's like too, a director so. and a producer basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking, you mentioned your, some zines that you have that you're working on. Is that also the fan comic that you did for TMNT? Yeah. So one of them that I was talking about was like, uh, I, I called it Zenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and that's my first, uh, like Ninja Turtle fan comic that I've completed, uh, with my buddy, Caleb Golner, who you'll also know from Task Force Rad Squad, my other, my other comic. And he's done, he's written a bunch of, uh, Ninja Turtle comics also, and a handful of other stuff for IDW. He's written like some Sonic the Hedgehog comics and stuff. But yeah, the, uh, the TMNT zine was essentially, it came out of this fan comic idea that Caleb and I had, we were in between issues of our, our book, uh, Task Force Rad Squad. I think we were, we had just finished the second issue and we're trying to figure out what we were going to do with the third issue. And, and we were like, wow, that was really hard to get through that second issue of Task Force Rad Squad. Is there like a, just like a fun little short thing that we could that's just something that we unabashedly love that uh, that we can explore without like any restriction or anything like that. So um, we, we came to the idea that it would be fun to do like a Ninja Turtle comic since we both have been huge fans, you know, ever since childhood. So oh, yeah. um, so we did that and uh, and, and it did really well. It, it kind of picked up on social media, which ended up leading to. That, that, that is what led to us both getting work on Ninja Turtle stuff. So that was really awesome. And then um, so last year. Oh, I know. It, and it really, yeah, it's really like that. I feel like it's the thing where it's like, oh, you just work and you make the thing. You don't need permission to do it. And then sometimes it works out. You know, I know it's not always the case. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's no actually like streamlined, uh, a solitary way of like, quote unquote, breaking into comics, you know, um, like an entry point. but like uh, definitely 
Right. Yeah. Definitely just making comics is the best way to, to make comics, I suppose, as, as obvious as that sounds, you know. And then sometimes uh, if if people start to notice it, then, you know, things can start happening for you. So um, luckily that that is what happened with us. I ended up doing like a cover for the Turtles. And within a few months after that, Caleb was writing backup stories. And then several years later, we had, you know, a handful of uh, TMNT credits under our belt. So um, cool. so that was great. And then like the team and T fan base is also really awesome. The fans are so supportive and uh, it's, it's one of the most like enthusiastic fandoms that, that I've encountered. And I mean, there's, there's also like some, some questionable people in there, you know, like all fandoms, there's, there's uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But like for the most part, the fans are just really awesome and super energetic and enthusiastic about anybody's version of the turtles, which is so cool since that story. And I started getting published by IDW with the turtles. I just get a bunch of Ninja Turtles commissions. So I basically, I was sitting on, I don't know, maybe like 80 to a hundred Ninja Turtles drawings that I've done over the last few years. And I was like, Oh, it'd be nice to compile like a handful of my favorite commissions that I've done as well as like some, uh, the Ninja Turtle fan comic that I did and put that, you know, TMNT zine out. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like the story of that, of that zine. I was telling my friend Alika, I guess it's a shout out, but he's a comic book store owner in Maui where Cynthia is at and huge Turtles fan. And he was really interested to hear what the concept and like the storyline of of your fan comic was well yeah that was a that was another one of the fun things just like uh sitting down and um talking with caleb about what we wanted to do for the comic and we were like well we have to incorporate elements of the toys that we grew up with of course um so so it, it basically was us trying to it, they they really are, and honestly, there there's some some really really strange. Uh, I I don't I don't know if there's been anything like it since that's like reached that level of like uh, pop culture success that it, it seems subversive, you know, and weird. Like if you look at the toys, there's like all these weird, gross things all over them, like and a it garbage seems, pale kid almost. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. It seems very kind of. Uh, like counterintuitive as far as like children's entertainment goes, but I mean, none of it's bad. It's all just kind of like weird, you know, but I I think it's weird in a good, in a good way, you know? So it's all just kind of like weird, zany, almost like a, like a punk rock aesthetic mixed with like Saturday morning cartoons or something, you know? So um, how did you incorporate that into your comic then? uh, So we were thinking about that when we just kind of basically backwards constructed like the the story from the well we want to show all of these characters together so essentially what what the story is it's it's very short it's like an eight page story but it's essentially just like a uh, a barbecue that the foot clan is like throwing for all of the uh tmnt's like you know uh villains their rogues gallery and and also just like some tangential tmnt characters if you like scan the pages and and like look close enough you'll see that like wait a second like why the tracer and like fugitoid here hanging out with like the foot and these guys and stuff like that so like eagle-eyed fans might have some beef it but uh for, for us we just really wanted to like put as many of the action figures that we loved into the story so oh it's a lot of crossover stuff kind of reminds me of like scooby-doo and do you ever watch spider fan and the amazing friends there's like a dracula episode yeah, I mean, stuff like that is awesome. Um, and they've done a lot of that with like the Turtles too. There's like the Batman TMNT animated movie that, that they've done. So uh, such an obvious inspiration too in the TMNT comics and Dark Knight. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The TMNT stuff all comes from Frank Miller, essentially like Frank Miller's daredevil and his, his Marvel work. And, and also eventually, yeah, his dark Knight returns story that he did like so much of, uh, the tropes and kind of things that defined TMNT originally can be traced back to like that, which is, which is awesome. And it's cool that it kind of like came, came full circle. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I love the whole, like, I think that the story of like the TMNT uh, and East Bear kind of their, their road to success is one of like the most inspiring, you know, rags to riches comic stories uh, yeah. for, for me personally, because I feel like those dudes did it all on their own. You know, it's it sort of, is like a, an isolated thing. I don't feel like, it has really happened since then but um there was a point of time in the 90s when like the ninja turtles was the the world's largest like intellectual property like it was bigger than batman and superman um Absolutely. and that's wild because uh yeah i mean it was these just these two dudes that you know arguably the first tmnt issue could could have been called like a pastiche or a, a parody of like that those uh 80s marvel daredevil like guys fighting ninjas and you know ridiculous mutants and stuff like that you know so i distinctly remember in daredevil visionaries how king ben was like underground in the sewers oh yeah this so i could definitely see the frank miller influence on TMNT. Yeah, for sure. And the comics, the original comics are way more grit like the carton ended up being too. So oh, that yeah. was kind of like an aspect kids. of it. But yeah, exactly. It's yeah. all about pizza. Right. Yeah. 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 Pizza was never a part of it. Cowabunga, all that stuff was kind of brought in later. But I mean, I love all of those elements too. Like everything that they did to even make it more kid friendly is I mean, I was growing up with it at the time, but it, it's all awesome to me. Talking about like the under the underground, uh, one of one of the funny things. Well, one of the things that I I thought was funny about our our stories that we 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 knew we wanted it to be like Foot Clan barbecue, and you know throughout you know the animated series and everything, the Technodrome is a huge part of it. That's kind of like where Krang and Shredder and the Foot operate from, and it's always like going underground under the sewers in New York and stuff. And honestly, like that thing is huge. It's a moving fortress. Where where are there tunnels like actual tunnels under a city that are that are like that? It's absolutely ridiculous, but. <laughs> Um, but like in our story, we had it like pop out basically in like the suburbs and like one of the boroughs of New York. It just kind of like pops, pops up, you know, <laughs> it's like up out of the ground and it just is there next to all these other houses. So, um, so yeah, the Foot Clan are having like this barbecue. Yeah. The turtles like get wind of it. They are under the impression that the foot are throwing pizza parties without, you know, inviting them. So they decide to like bust up the party essentially. So, so that's the premise for, <laughs> for the, uh, for the story. It's silly, but um, it kind of like checked off all of our boxes. You know, we're able to hit all of these turtle tropes. And Caleb is also like a really smart, thoughtful dude. So he he knows what works about the turtles and he knows like all of those kind of like exploitable points that like we can touch on. He's, he's really great. And then there were, of course, like the list of action figures that I wanted to draw, the characters that I wanted to draw. So we just found a way to kind of like put all that stuff together. So the technicality um, and the detail in your drawings are amazing. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that just comes, I guess, from my uh, influences. Uh, I, I've always been obsessed with how certain artists can kind of like define form with lines. So um, so I'm a little bit uh, I, I go a little bit overboard on the uh, mark yeah, making okay. sometimes. So very, very heavy lines and I don't have a great economy of line necessarily. So I don't know if I could draw a page with just like a few you know, gestures and stuff like that. For me, it wouldn't feel like my work at that point, you know, but 
I almost feel a camaraderie with your art because as someone with ADHD, I tend to over explain and go on and on and use a lot of detail. And I feel like it's almost a visual representation of that and like the nice, nicest, most effective way. Yeah. And I also feel that sometimes too. And um, I don't, I don't know if it's uh, some sort of like undiagnosed thing necessarily that, that I have, I, you know, I use artwork a lot as a, as a way to kind of, uh, you know, temper any kind of weird angst that, that I have. So, um, but definitely whenever I finish a piece, it's, it's different than whenever I'm working on it. Cause when I'm working on it, I'm hyper-focused on like the, the area that I'm working on, you know, and then whenever I, yeah, it, it really is. And then whenever I like look at it, I'm like, oh man, it all kind of, luckily it all came together again, you know? So I don't even know necessarily how that, how that happened, you know? So, but yeah, I, I do, I do really appreciate that. And I like getting lost. I like getting lost in the groove, you know, just kind of getting on top, getting into autopilot mode and just letting, letting it happen. So. Yeah. What I like about it too, is that you can always revisit it and find something new. And people say that about movies that they like and et cetera, et cetera. And not to butter you, too, butter you up too much, butter your biscuit. But <laughs> that's what I love about it. And then you add all these Easter eggs and things like um, Task Force. And I imagine in the fan comic, too, that people could just be like, hey, oh, hey. Absolutely. Yeah. Easter eggs are a big they're a big thing, um, you know, for my own entertainment. And like, I hope that other people are kind of like picking up on things that I like to, you know, extra little things I like to sprinkle in there. So, yeah, actually, here's a this is kind of like a, a thing that not a lot of people know about my work. Some of my my close friends and people that I've met at shows and things like that. But so I did used to do street art and graffiti for a while. And my tag name that I used to use was ARG, uh, which also goes back to comics. You know, it's like the most, you know, most frequently used like uh, exclamation in comics, you know, the ARG. So like, that's what I tagged for a long time. And once I became like a responsible adult and stopped like running around on the streets and stuff like that, then I, I stopped doing that, but I've kind of incorporated it into my work so yeah not a lot of people know this but you can actually find arg in every single one of my pieces of art that i produce i still include include that phrase uh in the background somewhere so or sometimes in the foreground sometimes i'm better sometimes i'm worse at hiding it but um yeah that's one of those things that and that's fun for me too because i like to go back through and look through the drawings and be like did i did i forget it in here and then i'll look at it long enough and be like oh no i i put it in there two or three times you know so (laughs) so yeah that's that's a a fun thing and I, i know a few of my friends anytime that I send them new pieces. They're like, where's it at, man? I, I don't see, I don't see it in there. Did you forget it this time? And I'm like, Oh, it's in there. It's in Fucking there. World, but, where's Waldo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I love that. Um, just to, I guess, backtrack, what is it? 30 more years now to childhood. Well, we grew up in the same neighborhood. You were more of a friend of my older brother. I was kind of friends with your brother, but I more had a crush on him. I remember very clearly um, being at a sleepover at y'all's house. And I was dumb enough to bring my diary. And I don't know if it was Eric or someone else opened it up and it had his name like all over it. (laughs) And I was so embarrassed. And I go, I meant to spell Jason. I misspelled Jason. Uh, for the listeners my brother's name is jacob so yeah the uh just a couple letters yeah that's that's actually some pretty decent plausible deniability you know yeah but i could spell if i could spell i could spell jacob right (laughs) but i definitely got shamed out of that crush because i remember 
I think it was him and another kid were like the best drawers in our class. And so I would, oh. I was always overconfident and would always challenge them to like on competitions and get my ass handed to me. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob was pretty good. Yeah, he, he was. Man, that's so, that's really funny. Now we're on the topic of childhood. Obviously, your childhood impacts your work a lot. And a lot of it's very nostalgia driven, you know, Power Rangers, TMNT, obviously, X-Men. What about those properties that stuck with you for so long? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is maybe just like the time, the time that it hit and a lot of those properties, maybe, maybe less like Power Rangers, but like TMNT and the X-Men always sort of had like that uh, outsider kind of, you know, approach. And for me as a kid, I always kind of felt like I was weird compared to other kids. So that was just one of those things that like really struck a chord with me whenever I was very young is, um, I'm like, oh yeah, like these, you know, you can, you can be weird and also you know, be cool, you know? So that was a thing that always was, was really, you know, impactful for me. Another thing that I really just kind of love about nineties comics aesthetic in general is just how like bombastic and over the top it is, you know, how in your face and dynamic all of the artwork is. So a little bit, you know, I was just talking about concepts, but a lot of those comics are sort of light on concept and heavy on action. And that was a thing that kind of like really resonated with me also. It's like, yeah, we're all sad kind of outcasts, but solve their problems some, somehow by, you know, fighting with out. each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, and as an angsty kid, that was like a thing that was like really, really cool to me, but like more from like a technical standpoint, a lot of the art at that time, like breaking panel borders, uh, you know, like characters punching through panels and things like that. That it's just like I hadn't really seen a lot of that stuff at that time. So that stuff was like really, really kind of blew my mind. Uh, like, oh, you can draw comics, and they also can be like big and exciting. And it was honestly like you know, falling in love with the X Men and Ninja Turtles were sort of the thing that made me even realize that reading in general was something that I could like. You know, and since then, you know, I, I read more than just comics, but like that was definitely the thing whenever I was like in first first second grade where it was like oh like reading is not just like homework that is like a, a pain in the butt to do you know like I can actually enjoy enjoy doing this uh and like want to do it and that's what I would feel every time I would read a comic is that I would just like want to read more comics I want to know all of it I want to know all of what's happening and that sort of feeling is really what i I try and encapsulate in like the type of work that I do too, because like, you know, I wanted to read all of it, but at, at the time growing up, you know, we didn't have tons of money and everything. So it was like, I, I had like five comics for like the first, you know, f until I was like maybe in fourth or fifth grade, you know? Uh, so those five or six comics just got like read through like hundreds and hundreds of times. So what was the um, name of the comic book store? By, it was by the old Hobby Lobby. I'm a cavern. Yeah. I'm a cavern. Yeah. Yes. Friendly. Yeah. Friendly Frank's comic cavern. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's not still around, is it? It isn't actually it's owned by uh, the same guy that owns the bebop chain of comics. So there, there are a couple uh bebop comic stores in Kansas city still. So the, the store that's like in the Northland of Kansas city is no longer comic cavern. It's bebop North now. And then he has, Bebop South also. So that's, that's down on the Kansas side. So, but yeah, Comic Cavern was definitely my stomping ground. That was, uh, you know, that, that was a very formative place for me. I feel like <laughs> a lot of my brother's interests got grandfathered to me. And then looking back on it, I think I got more into it as I got older. So I was like, oh shit, that was kind of cool. My brother wasn't a dork. Well, he was a dork, but like that stuff was pretty <laughs> cool. And I started reading it more because yeah. I remember stealing 
you know, Daredevil Visionaries and like Earth X and then all my dads. When I started really getting back into it, especially when I had kids, because I wanted to share it with all that with all that with them. And I was super excited to be like, mm-hmm. you know what we have? We have a mint copy of the first appearance of the Punisher. And I asked my dad about it. He's like, Oh, I gave him all to Eric. And of course Eric doesn't he like sold it. And I was like, damn it. Oh no. I could have had a little <laughs> bummer little piece of heaven there. But to be fair, you probably need yeah, it. Yeah, that, so. and that's a good key issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but the more I become acquainted, especially with the fan base of the Punisher, I'm not too mad about it. There's a lot of yeah. bastardization of what the Punisher was. Yeah, I, I feel like that's one of those things that's been misappropriated. You know, um, like I don't, I don't really think that's necessarily what what is about. But unfortunately, like the police mentality is closer to like that weird vigilantism kind of kind of thing which is like if that's your just wild idol that's a problem (laughs) because he's a murderer oh it's a huge problem that (laughs) he's a psychopath he is legit like uh you know serial killer he is he's a serial killer you know even if you're you know like dexter there's no question about dexter he's he's a serial killer you know so it's like uh the same thing with punisher just because they kill bad people doesn't mean they're not like running around murdering a bunch of people you know so but he had some pretty um, sick white go-go boots yeah that is true um yeah the problem with the cops is that they feel like they can go around and murder people uh and they feel justified in it too you know so i so i see why they think that that's like a symbol that they you know could use but it's it's not they they totally misunderstand it and it's really sad and weird weird to see i think it a lot of it's credited to how good the design is like it's a giant skull just like deadpool like you're gonna slap that on some hot topic merch and some you know incels are gonna be all about that but not really know the character itself it's a great yeah it's a great design i don't necessarily aesthetically like the design myself but you know i see i see why people latch onto it you know this actually leads really well into my next question, which is that there is a stark contrast between what you do and the big two, like DC and Marvel. I do appreciate them and I am a fan and they do have well-meaning pushes towards diversity and complicated storylines and reinventing the characters and trying to make it more politically relevant. But you kind of skew more to like the escapism side of comic books. I know we kind of touched on this already, but why that route? I think also for me, you know, like a a, a big kind of part of my childhood was like escapism too. And I didn't, I didn't have like a terrible childhood by, by any means whatsoever, you know, Um, but I definitely have like, like some PTSD related things from circumstances and issues that I, that I had as a, as a child. So I think uh, that was a big part of why I loved comics to begin with was because some of the stuff that I didn't really understand at that time, stuff that I couldn't really cope with, I could, I could read a comic and I wouldn't even have to think or feel the way that I, I normally would think or feel. Um, so that escapism for me was, was huge. It was like, well, this is a world that is completely, you know, unaltered by my own world. And uh, sometimes there are characters that are like going through rough things too, but those are like characters that I can relate to and they always overcome it, you know? So like that sort of thing to me is, is really cool. I, I love, I do love escapist art, you know, I like things that are just kind of like out there. I, I don't think necessarily you need to like turn your brain off, you know, that, you know, is something as extreme as that. But, um, but I do really like kind of just the, 
the idea that like, this is not the world that we encompass. This is a completely different world. The rules aren't the same here, you know, um, things like that. I really appreciate and like in, in my fiction. And that's also not to say that I, I don't like reading about, you know, current issues and things that certain groups and people are dealing and struggling with also, because I think that that's also very, very important. But yeah, as far as just kind of like what I tend to make, it just kind of is more that, because I still sort of use artwork the same way, you know, it's kind of uh, artwork is as much a coping mechanism, you know, as it is also like a creative process, you know. So mm-hmm. so for me, I think that that's a big part of it. And hopefully, you know, whenever people see my work, they they feel like, you know, it's it's not realistic. It's uh, and it's not even trying trying to be, you know, I don't try and have anything reflect reality and in, in like my figures or forms or anything like that. It's all just kind of like I'm trying to push the limits of what looks normal, I guess, or something like that, yeah. you know. So um like the the weirder for me, like almost the better. So and that's just kind of like, yeah, creating that different that different place that doesn't really necessarily adhere to the things, you know, that people have to deal with every single day. So, you know, nobody wants to read a comic about abuse, but somebody that is abused would like to read a comic that is about something completely different, you know? So like, or, or, you know, like not that nobody wants to read that. I guess I shouldn't yeah. say that, but no, you know, like, I, I mean, I agree. And I've talked about this, not in detail on the podcast, but like I've been through some shit and sometimes it's cathartic to read about it, but like, you don't want to fucking be reminded of that all the time. And I've noticed that even during the pandemic, like the worst thing you could do is watch contagion right now. Don't do that. (laughs) Or whatever the Michael Bay (laughs) songbird movie, like don't watch that right now. Like it's just nice to have something (laughs) Steven university or, you know, that you can just kind of turn off for a second. Yeah. Be reminded that not everything's terrible. (laughs) Yep. And that's, and that really is like the appeal of like escapist art to me you have a lot of callbacks and references and just style and world building. That's just really fun. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I want to put a nice little bow on our interview. You can tell our listeners where we can find you on the internet. Probably the best place would be, well, social media. I'm on all social media. Um, If you're interested in like a commission or just kind of checking out the work that I have done, you can go to bustermoody.com. That's probably the best place. There's links to all of my social media, but I'm pretty active on Instagram and uh, and Twitter too. Those are probably the best places. Uh, I do do have an artist page on Facebook that I post to also. So uh, generally if it's social media and there's people there, then I have some sort of, some sort of presence there. But yeah, as far as like finding uh, the books that I have available for sale and if you want to see commissions and sketches that I do, just bustermoody.com is probably the best place. And then, yeah, uh, if, you, if you're able to find it, uh, it is on Comixology for uh, your listeners that read comics uh, on there. Um, Task Force Rad Squad is the book I do with uh, Caleb Golner, and we've done six issues of that. Um, and that also is another creator-owned series that uh, I, I co-created with Caleb, so we co-own it. And that sort of is like a Power Rangers throwback type thing. It's like teenagers yeah. in high school who are, uh, you know, faced with all these weird aliens and monsters that for whatever reason, always attack their hometown, like on, on the West coast. So it's, uh, it's, it's basically a, a, a unabashed pastiche of tokusatsu and power rangers and super sentai. So, um, so anybody that's into that stuff, uh, if you, if you track down task force rad squad, I, I feel like you'd probably dig it. 
We did it! (laughs) Thank you so much to our guest, Buster Moody. What a fucking delight. Check out our website, mastersoftheobvious.com for new episodes, news, and merch. Our Instagram, at Masters of the Obvious. Facebook, at Masters of the Obvious. And Twitter, at Masters of the O. I don't know. Y'all are just sleeping on our Facebook. You got to turn the notifications on because we do live streams just about every week doing makeup, nerd talk, talking to our fans, our family and friends. And it's just a good time. So check that out. And if you'd like to be a patron of our show, you can go to contribute.mastersoftheobvious.com. And if you'd like, we'll even mention you on the show. But if you want to remain anonymous, we understand. We don't want to be associated with us either. We will find you. We did get a, a contributor. Doesn't want to be anonymous. Who is it? It's Shockadelica. The company oh, Shockadelica. On Maui? On Maui. Nice. Gave us some funds. Imagine that. So weird. What a random. So random. Please don't forget to leave a glowing review on Apple Podcasts and to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening. And we love you. Like. Ahsoka through a Yoda. Ahsoka. The shade Osaka through a Yoda. Oh my god. The shade that Ahsoka. Nope. Ahsoka. Ahsoka.